Mino Lion Media presents the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Kevin Waits, and I'd like to welcome you to a new episode of Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits. It's season two, and I want to thank all of you for showing us love. Uh, first season, we had uh, we had some beautiful guests, some beautiful conversations, and now we're just ready to keep it going. We, you know, here we unpack our bags. We talk about everything. Nothing's off the table uh, because we want to find a way for everybody to move forward together. Because at the end of the day, that's the only way we can all get it done. We unpack our bags. We talk about what we're different about. We talk about our similarities. We talk about everything. And so here we are. Uh, and I'm excited this evening to uh, welcome a young man uh, who is sharp, who's a fire plug. Uh, welcome. His name is Hakeem Mustafa. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me here. Listen, I know I see you out there on social media. I see the fact that you're an influencer and I know you move and you shake. So I appreciate you just sitting still for a minute just so we could break bread and chop it up. So can you start off by just telling the listening audience whatever it is you think they need to know about Akeem Mustafa, background, education, family, whatever it is you want us to know? Yeah, perfect, man. I would love to. So um, just a little bit about me. Uh, so I'm 32 years old, single dad of two kids. You know, I have a 12-year-old uh, son and a 13-year-old daughter. So now I have two kids in middle school, which is really different. <laughs> um, on top of that, you know, I'm from Baltimore City, Maryland. Um, I live down here in South Carolina. I just actually, I moved to Georgia and I'm back in South Carolina now. So that's one of the perks of being an entrepreneur, just being able to kind of move around. Uh, so I have a degree, a bachelor's degree in information technology. Uh, my my focus, my major is um, cybersecurity, but I work heavily in the fintech, financial technology space. That's like my love, my desire. That's my everyday. You know, that's why I wake up and go so hard. Uh, so, you know, growing up in the city, man, it's, it's been way different um, than it is in the South. But everything, you know, comes with an adaptation and just, you know, growing and evolving. So you got to get used to being in different environments and and things of that nature. So I'm happy to be here. I'm excited about this, man. Good. And, and we're definitely glad, uh, again, that you took time just to come hang out with me for a little while. So, Akeem, you appear, like I said, I see you. I, I, I watch you move. Uh, I, I see the passion and intensity in you. And at the same time, you are a classic mover and a shaker in a good way. I see the, how you influence people. So you appear to be a jack of all trades. What are some of the things that, that you're involved in? And take us back and help us understand how your journey brought you to where you are today. I'm definitely glad you asked that question, man. So a jack of all trades, um, I would kinda I would kind of agree with that, right? So uh in in the, the space that I'm in, right, financial technology, we cover a wide variety of things, right? I mean, we talk about everything from uh, personal credit help to business credit help to website development, uh, ERC, uh, you know, the employee retention credits, the um, business phone numbers, tax help. Uh, so we have everything, personal loans, business loans, real estate investment loans, right? A lot of things to help consumers and small businesses get their finances right, grow their business faster. Uh, we have a lot of different resources they can use along the way to help them out. Um, but what really brought me to this point, and along with that, also life insurance, right? I'm licensed in life insurance um, in a few states. Uh, but what really brought me into the finance world was some of my own personal struggles, right? So um, some years ago, upon being released from prison, 
right? I didn't have any credit. I didn't know anything about credit. I had two kids. I was working at a restaurant as a server, right? Um, and trying to get my own money right. So I went to go get a car because I needed transportation. Um, you know, I, I went to a buy here, pay here place. I didn't know anything about that. I just know I needed a car. I never bought a car off the lot before. So I got that. Uh, long story short, what that situation is, I didn't know that it had recalls on it. Um, in less than 30 days, the steering column locked up on the way from Paula's Island back to Georgetown. Then my kids slid into the ditch. Uh, nobody got hurt, but the car was total loss. It was water all in the engine or whatever. So less than 30 days, I lost that money for that car. I lost the whole car. And then when I went to this dealership to buy another car off the lot, you know, my little $800, I thought I was doing something from serving tables. Um, you know, they, they showed me two cars I could get off the lot. It was like, you know, what's your job, what you're doing, this is what you can afford. Pick one. I picked one. It was a um, Hyundai Elantra. It was basic, you know, no no leather seats, no heated um, steering wheels, no heated seats and none of that stuff, right? Uh, they told me it was $14,000. Uh, you know, okay, cool. Not a problem. Um, what I didn't know though was about all the paperwork involved in purchasing a car and financing and all this stuff. So as we're going through, they're just like, Hey, click here, 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 here. And I'm the last one in the dealership, right? I'm about, um, at, uh, early twenties. Uh, it's like 10 o'clock at night. The only person there is the person who was, who was vacuuming the floor and it's me <laughs> purchasing the car. Right. So I finally got the car and it was like, yeah, your monthly payment is $463 a month. And me, I felt like I couldn't really stomach that serving tables. Right. And it's not a high end restaurant. Uh, but at the same time, I sacrificed. I was like, well, I'm gonna try to figure out how to make it work. So about three days later, after I had my car, you know, I always tell people God inspired me or a little birdie. God sent a little birdie to whisper in my ear to check your paperwork. So I pulled out my folders, all the stuff they printed, a billion pages of paperwork that I had no, I know nothing about. I just started kind of flipping through it, trying to figure out like, what is all this stuff that I signed? I don't even know what all this stuff means. Right. And as I'm flipping, I see the total for the car says 14,000. Okay, that's what they told me. No surprise. Now, next to that was the surprise. Next to the 14,000 said finance charge $18,000. So I was like, hold up. They charged me $18,000 to get me a $14,000 car? So my total ended up being $32,000 off a $14,000 car. And I gave them $800 down thinking I was doing something. <laughs> I did nothing at all. <laughs> So, so what happened after that is me and Google became best friends, right? I started really utilizing that resource and researching finance and what's a finance charge and what makes a finance charge high and, you know, about credit and how to build credit. And I just was going through all these different things, just trying to figure this thing out because I wanted to figure out how could I keep the car, but I get out the loan, right? Because I don't want to pay that much money for, that's a lot, that's a lot of money. I'd rather pay $500 for a Rolls Royce or a Bentley, not for a Hyundai Elantra. That's just not in my game plan, right? Um. And so I found out about, you know, building my credit. I started working on building my own credit. Uh, was doing that for six months, right? I started seeing some progress. We got up to a year mark. I was over a 720 credit score. Now, what happened after that was I had also found out about an auto refinance loan along this, you know, along this year-long journey. After I got in the 700s, I contacted the credit union to ask them about the auto refinance. They told me, hey, just fill out the application. I filled it out. It was approved. So now... This is what got me excited about the industry. This is why I never left, right? This is what really cranked me up and why I want to help everybody is because after my auto refinance, instead of paying $463 a month for a car payment, I was paying $263 for a car payment. So I saved $2,400 a year in car payments alone, right? I, already, I have two kids already, so I need that money myself. So I still have the car and I saved $2,400. But on top of that, my interest rate went to a 2.99% interest rate. 
I also got two checks back in the mail, which helped me out, and it was very unexpected. But on top of that, my total went from 32000 down to 16000 and I didn't have to make a car payment for 90 days. So that helped me out a whole lot. And after that, I was like, well, my whole family's been taking advantage of for a long time. We didn't, nobody knew anything about this. So now I need to get in a position where I can teach people and help people to help them get in a better position to save money, you know, and to acquire assets and to, you know, get out of the mindset of paying a whole bunch for something that really doesn't mean nothing. Because at the end of the day, if I could keep that money in my pocket and still have the same vehicle, why not take that money and do something, you know, beneficial, like buy an asset or like, you know, take care of my kids or take them out on a vacation or something, right? Anything more than just giving it to the bank. So that's how I got into this journey of wanting to help everybody. And that's why I get so pumped up every single day when I'm up like, hey, man, we need to get this thing rolling. That's an awesome story, man. Uh, It's funny how, I don't know, man, how, you know, not to get religious, but it's funny how God will, you know, hit you at certain points, not hit you, but sometimes nudge you to walk into your gift and walk into your purpose. You know what I'm saying? Because do we all sometimes walk around? I know I have not really knowing what your gift is. Does that happen to you? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I can remember losing sleep at night, feeling like, Lord, okay, I know I'm supposed to be doing something, but I don't quite know what it is. Right. And I heard somebody say, hey, you want to figure out what your gifts and your talents are. Think about those things that you do better than anybody else with the least amount of effort. And it was like, like somebody smacked me because I was like, okay, I got it. So I want to take a minute and really keep it real with you. And I want to go back to, do you remember the first time that me and you ever talked? Absolutely. I definitely do. I remember that. For, I remember it It had to be, I want to say, was it 2016 or 17? Uh, what are we in? We're in 23 right now. That was about 2020-ish. Yeah. twenty. Okay. So this is what I remember. And you helped me out, right? You helped me out. You called. I was at the time I was the chief of police. That right? That's correct. Okay. And you said, uh, sir, you said, sir, I'm just, I'm just trying to get some help. This is my situation. Uh, I just, you know, there's something on my record. I went to prison. He was very forthcoming with everything. You said, I'm, I'm just trying to get myself together because this is holding me back from doing some things I want to do. And what I remember about that day, because you you can imagine, I get, I used to get those phone calls every day, right? And you know, I was I was always in a situation and, and of the mindset that I'm gonna help anybody I can. But I'm telling you that day when I talked to you, there was something different. And what was different, Akeem, was I could hear the hunger in your voice. I could hear it. I could hear the 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 passion to want to make it. Now, I never even knew that you had two kids. You know what I'm saying? You before I didn't know that part. I just knew you told me your situation and I could hear I'm like, man, this guy is serious about leveling up, doing better, you know, knocking the dust off and moving on with his life. So I just want to take a moment and say that. 
I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, man. Um, I didn't even know you were a dad, you know what I'm saying? But to be in a situation, get up, knock the dust off and, and make things happen and be an influencer and, 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 and have your kids see that process is a big deal. So I didn't want to go any further without saying to you straight up, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for that. Real talk. Thank you. Thank you. So, and I'm going to go a little bit off script, right? So in your struggles and just how you found out and you learned about interest rates and how, you know, when you're crediting where, you know, where you want it to be or where it needs to be, a lot of times we get held hostage. We all been there. You know what I'm saying? You got to have transportation. You got to have some place to stay. And, you know, if we're not situated right, we can be really manipulated and taken advantage of. And so to your credit, you realize that and you said, yo, I'm going to be the conduit. I'm going to be the person to help people realize that, hey, snap out of this funk. We can do better. So I applaud you for that. But my question is, do you sometimes see that as minorities, we, we suffer because we don't have information? That's a fantastic question. 1000%. We definitely suffer because we don't have information. And now that we're in the information age, it's important to get people the information. Uh, You know, we all have access to the internet, but everybody is not going to look it up themselves, look up things themselves. But a lot of people also don't even know what to look up, what, you know, what kind of information to research. So we definitely suffer when it comes to, you know, because of lack of information. And so now it's definitely time to change that. That's awesome. So switching gears a little bit. Have you ever had along your journey any experiences uh, that have caused you to look at a certain group of people or, or whatever group, race, whatever sideways, just based on it, which is a lot going on right now anyway, but. What has Mm -hmm. happened during your life, during your struggle that have made you just look at people sideways and and say, really? Um, Well, I'm glad you asked that question, man. Just moving from Baltimore City to Georgetown alone was a very different experience. When I got here, right, um, I was looked at a certain way. I was treated a certain way. So that made me. And when I said it, for example, right, in middle school, I was probably 14 years old. I don't know if you, you know, familiar. Well, I know you're familiar with it, but just off the top of your head, that side street, I think it's DeKalb Street across from the middle school, right? That little side street, Salvation Army and all that. So after school one day, we were walking home. Uh, you know, it's a bunch of kids walking uh, right at the top of the at the top of the road, right where you cross the street at. It's, about to, it's a big gathering, people about to fight. Um, and, you know, we kept walking, me and some friends, we kept walking. But I had one foot in the road, one foot in the grass, right? And the police rolled past the group of people that's about to fight and all the riffraff and literally pulled up next to me and jumped out the car and was like, you take one more step, you're gone. I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, are you out here trying to impress your posse? You walking in the street? I was like, it's like a thousand kids. I don't understand. There's no cars coming up the street. We're not doing anything. But from my understanding is they thought I was from California. I was like a gang member from California. So I was always under the radar. So I had a big thing in my head, like, well, listen, where I come from, we already don't have a good relationship with the police. And now I'm in the South. And now I have, you know, I'm, I got targets on my back. 
I've been told by, you know, a couple classmates that their parents don't like black people. It was a wild ride for me. Like, <laughs> you know, up until middle school, up until seventh grade, I had never went to school with any other uh, ethnicities or, you know, culture. It was always just black people up in the city. So down here was totally different. I started looking at people different when I moved down here. And I started to have to, you know, to adjust and and kind of tr- treat people a little different because I didn't know how to feel that out. All right. So that was my introduction to the South. And then from there, of course, I've had experiences, you know, here and there. But as I get older and as I go through different experiences, I kind of navigate those a little better. Um, it's, you know, it's really hard to get under, under my skin, but it's people out here that are still really nasty. And it makes me look at some people a certain type of way. And I just try not to get caught up in it. But I don't know. It's life, I guess. It's life out here right now. Yeah. Uh, that culture shock from moving uh, up north to what they used to say down south is, it's real. You know, um, first part of my life I spent in Harlem in New York. And I remember when we moved to Charleston, you know, uh, it was crazy. Like, the first thing was, for me, the African-American kids didn't want nothing to do with me because... You know, when you come from New York, you know what I'm saying, or any place up north, you bring that you bring that little thing with you, that <laughs> accent. So my accent was really strong then. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't nothing but you can tell me I wasn't run DMC. You know what I'm saying? I was yo, yo, you know. And uh I had a crease in everything I wore. Every pair of sneakers I wore were white because we was on the concrete all the time. You know what I'm saying? We went in the grass or the dirt. So the kids in the neighborhood really didn't accept me. And uh you know, up north, uh, I went to Catholic school with everybody, Italian people, um, you know, Puerto Rican people. I mean, everybody. And and so the only friend I had in my neighborhood was a white guy, a uh, little white guy that lived around the corner. And honestly, Hakeem, I called hell. We call hell just for being friends. You know what I'm saying? But it was to- it was a totally different feel in terms of culture, man. Um, so that that was a crazy experience for me. So how does being an African-American man in the entrepreneurial space, how does it feel? And do you, do you feel like you have access to all of the resources that you need, or do you believe Mm. you're at a disadvantage? Yeah, that's tough. Um, As a black male in the entrepreneurial space, uh, it's been a roller coaster, right? Because it's a lot of development that you have to do being an entrepreneur. It's way different from just going to clocking at somebody's job and being a young black man, being an entrepreneur and trying to network and build relationships with all these, you know, senior business people and, and all these different industries is, um, you know, what they call it, imposter syndrome. You know, I had imposter syndrome for a while. Like I, I feel like I still get it sometime, but imposter, you just, you know, you really don't feel like you belong. You don't feel like, you know, you know what you're doing. You don't feel like you deserve to be here, right? I, I, I've spent a lot of money since being out with just some personal development, you know, workshops and trainings and all kinds of just trying to develop myself because I used to go in these rooms. I wouldn't want to talk. I just felt like I, I didn't deserve to be in these rooms with some of these people, right? And then when, when the conversation started, it's like the stuff that they were talking about, I had no idea what, I'm like, what are they, what kind of language are they speaking, right? I have no idea what this language is. So, Everything that I had to learn, you know, it's pretty much like a baby just learning everything all over again. So it's it's tough, but it's also rewarding, though. It's tough, but it's rewarding because, you know, 
Now we at a point where you get to make your own schedule. You know, you get to create your own economy, right? You get to take your money and buy, you know, buy assets and make your assets work for you, right? You have a lot of flexibility, right? You be able to move around. Like I could go to Vegas and I can work. I can go to Miami and I can work. I go to California. I can go out of the country if I want and I can still work. So all of that is amazing, but it's not as easy as Instagram and Facebook makes it seem. <laughs> so I don't want anybody to be fooled. <laughs> um, now it's about the resources. I do feel like I'm at a disadvantage. Um, being an entrepreneur or being in business, um, you do have to have resources in place, especially if you want to build a business. Um, you have to treat it like a business and that stuff costs money. It's time, energy and money. And a lot of times we don't have the knowledge about building a business or being an entrepreneur. We don't have the resources. We have no idea what we're doing. We don't know about business. We don't know about entrepreneurship, real entrepreneurship. And we don't have the funds, right? We don't have the funds to get help. We don't have the funds for marketing campaigns. We don't have the funds for inventory. A lot of us are usually working a job and trying to build a business. And we end up running in circles for years because we can't take our focus. We don't have enough resources. To take our to be able to take our focus and put it on our business, right? We always have to take ours and split it. We got to split it between family, between work, between the business, between growing, between development. We don't we, we know we're we're not really able to just focus in on on the business aspect of what we want to focus in on. So it's extremely tough to try to break out of that cycle. That's like when I had the store. I don't even know if you knew this, right? I had a store up in Myrtle Beach one time, a storefront up in Myrtle Beach, like three or four blocks away from from the water, from the from the strip. Uh, but the thing was, I didn't, I didn't really have any money for that. I came across a good deal as far as the rent and a good opportunity, but I also had to work a full-time job just to be able to pay the rent and try to get money for inventory to get inside of the store. So I would go work there the first part of the day. And then I have to close the store because I had to come back down to my full-time job to try to create capital to pay the bills and to take care of the store. So, you know, it's, it's extremely hard like that. Yeah. So have you, uh, cause it is hard. You know what I'm saying? Everything you said, I, you know, I was sitting there bobbing my head, you know, um, it is hard. And so how did you, and, and we all, just so you know, you know, we all together, we all suffer from the imposter syndrome at some point. And not even at some point, because sometimes when you think you're over it, you step into the next level, you step into, step into the next room, boom, it smack you upside the head again. Like, oh, wow. How did I get here? Why mm -hmm. am I even here? Let me be quiet and just listen. My voice didn't really, you know what I'm saying? So have you had a mentor or, or somebody to kind of push you, encourage you, help you shake hands with, with people you would normally shake hands with, help you sit at tables that you would normally, wouldn't normally have access to? Has somebody been out there like that to, to kind of help you along the way? Definitely. That's a great question. So as far as mentors, um, the business I'm in, the fintech business I'm in, right? So I love this business because in this business, you have mentors, right? Our CEO, our COO of, of the fintech space that I'm in. Those are some of my mentors. But just outside of that, I have a network of people around the country that I uh, tap in with on a pretty usual basis. Uh, we have like mastermind groups. Sometimes we have in-person uh, events and things like that. But we all challenge each other. We all, you know, we're going over different information. Um, you know, we all come to the table with different input and and perspectives on things and we're working on growing and we give each other challenges right or uh, we have fun challenges amongst each other right to see who can win different competitions and stuff but it's all focused around growing in some type in some way shape or form but outside of that like i said i also spend a lot of money 
to get in certain rooms, right? Like um, Matt Morris. Matt Morris is one of my mentors. Matt Morris has had a sales organization that put up, up over a billion dollars in revenue, uh, you know, internationally. And so that's one of my mentors because I got to figure out how to get better, you know, like that. That's, you know, that's one of my goals. Uh, like Grant Cardone, that's one of my mentors. I go down to Miami. Every time I go to Miami, I'm in a workshop or a training or something that Grant Cardone's building, right? And this guy, this one of the guys, he has over $4 billion in commercial real estate in this business, right? Um, so he's teaching about working and, and, and grinding, creating a business and using that earned income to create passive income, right? So he teaches big time on that. And I, just outside of them, I have a, a good network of people that I really can tap into and really like, if I need a, if I need a word, if I need um, if I need some encouragement, if I need some guidance, if I need some mentorship, um, I have a good network. You need a good network of people to be able to tap into for real, because if you just have your usual friends and your usual friends are not the type of people that you aspire to be, it's not really going to help you on that journey. You're not going to get the input you need. You're not going to get the feedback you need. You're not going to have the conversations you need, the level of conversation you need. Right. It's a lot of things that go into the company that you keep. That's real. And that's true. You know, that's true. I always want people around me um, that push me, you know what I'm saying? That don't just say, oh, okay, Kevin. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, tell me, tell me what I need to do to do better. Tell me what you see that's wrong. You know what I'm saying? And, and Because that's what you need in your camp. You know, sometimes not being judgmental, but sometimes I even look at some of the big time athletes and I'm not going to call any particular athlete out, but I say to myself sometimes, if I was in that situation and I had a gift to play hockey, baseball, football at a at the highest level and I was getting paid millions of dollars, I would invest in myself and have somebody in my camp that would say to me, nah, man, mm-mm, nah. We, I know you want to go left, but that ain't the best thing we need to do right now. We need to go. You know what I'm saying? Somebody to really just tell me the truth. So. You uh you you speaking real knowledge on that on that network thing. Let me ask you this: How would you define you personally? How would you define success? And what would you say to someone who questioned, just like we talked about the imposter syndrome, whether or not they could be successful in life or even in this entrepreneurial space? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. So, um, before I even get into the loan answer, right? One thing I tell everybody. And I wholeheartedly believe this is that I believe that everybody has the ability to have whatever they want, right? It's just all about are you going to go for it or not. So I feel like everybody has the ability to be successful, whatever that looks like for them, um, because success looks different for different people. Everybody doesn't want the same thing. Everybody doesn't want a Corvette, a Rolls Royce, a private jet. Uh, some people just want a nice little house. You know, they want to be. They just want to go garden, read books, things of that nature. Right. Success for me looks a little different. Right. I'm not the most materialistic person, but I do like nice things and I want nice things. I didn't come up with a bunch of nice things, but I believe that if there's other people on this planet that can get nice things and they're doing it in a, in a, in a, in a legal, in a good way, I can do the same thing. I feel like they're no smarter than me and they don't have any more special abilities than me. It's just that they've done things I haven't done or they knew things that I didn't know. And so they have the upper hand. That's all. So my idea of success for me and for my family is, for one, I want to create indestructible wealth for my family. So that's bigger than me. That's bigger than my kids. That's for generations. That's so that my family in itself doesn't ever have to worry about money itself again. Right. 
because I feel like when you have to worry about money all the time, you don't really get to live your full life. You don't get to enjoy life. You're not living to your full potential because you're always worrying and trying to scrape the pot and trying to pay the next bill. So you're not really able to put your full self out there or really just enjoy life. And it's a lot of families, you know, very wealthy families out here who have already done it in the past and their kids live totally different. It's things that they don't ever worry about. They've never worried about. They never have to worry about that. We worry about what our kids worry about. Right. And so I want to change. That's that's my number one indestructible wealth for my family. So that way I could change that whole ball game. That's my number one goal. But on top of that, for success for me is to also have a happy family, right? A healthy family, a peaceful family. Like I want us to have to to have the money and the resources, but I want us to also to be able to enjoy life, to be able to travel, right? To be able to take advantage of different opportunities, to be able to experience different cultures. So for me, right, that's my definition of success for me and my family. That's that's how I look at it. And that's what I'm striving for every single day. I get up and it's like, okay, write my goals down, right? My goal, like for instance, my goals when I write them down in the morning, uh, I would say like I have <clears throat> I have a real estate portfolio that's paying me, um, you know, it's paying me $500,000 a month in passive income. Uh, I already have a, you know, a healthy and a happy family. I already have a, uh, the best relationship I could possibly have with my kids. Like things of that, things like that, that's success for me. That's pretty dope. And I'm going to tell you, man, call me crazy, but I want, I want to ask you something. Have you ever seen Will Smith in the movie, the pursuit of happiness. I did. I did. I saw that movie. I never want to watch it again because I saw it and I was a teenager and I cried. <laughs> it was a sad, strong movie, man. But well, let me ask you this real talk. Why did you cry? I can't even say exactly why I cried. I, that thing triggered something in me. I'm not sure. That was a long, it was some years ago when I seen that. At mm-hmm. least 10, right? Let me see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least 10 mm-hmm. years. And so I don't really know why I cried, but it it hit me some type of way. I don't know. It pulled on a heart spring. Well, I brought it up because, and see, of course, I didn't know what made you cry, but (laughs) I brought it up because what I see in you is the tenacity that Will Smith had in that movie. You know what I'm saying? This guy was, man, he was not giving up. He wanted to make it. Not even so much for him, but for his family. You know what I'm saying? And so as you were talking just now, I was I was like, boom, pursuit of happiness. That's that's the tenacity I see in Hakeem in Hakeem Mustafa. That is what I see. And uh and so I'm proud of you. I already know you're gonna make it. I already know I'm gonna be reading about you one day. Just don't act like you don't know me when you see me. <laughs> Show me some love. Man, you know I got you, man. I got you. And I just found out so you was from New York, this. man. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All them in the house. All them in the house. Uh, so, hey, man, I appreciate you. I know your time is valuable, uh, but I appreciate you chopping it up with me. Uh, would you come back? I, I will come back anytime, every time. That's what's up. I really appreciate that. So, I, I know you're involved and you talked about networks across the country. You, you, you briefly talked about uh, you know, some of the industries that you work within, tell the listening audience, how can someone get in contact with you to take advantage of some of the services that you provide or get associated with any networks or groups, masterminds, whatever? How can somebody reach out to you? 
Oh, man, I'm glad you asked. So anybody want to reach me, you can find me on like any and every social media. I'm talking about Facebook, Instagram, fan base, TikTok, Snapchat. One of my goals is to be omnipresent. I'm everywhere, right? Any platform you go on, I'm there. But you can look up Hakeem Mustafa. Um, you can also look up Hakeem underscore building leaders because my goal is to build leaders in every single community across the country and to help us out. So you can find me, Hakeem Mustafa, or Hakeem underscore building leaders on any and every platform. That's pretty dope. So you heard it straight from him, and I, and I appreciate you uh, you coming on. I appreciate the listening audience coming on to, to listen to you as you pursue happiness. And uh, so everybody, once again, thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits, where we unpack our bags. And listen, just because it's called safe, don't get it twisted because we don't have we don't have soft conversations. We really go deep, find out what's under the layers and try to make it work to make us all better. Thank you, Hakeem Mustafa, for showing up and we'll see you next time. Peace. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Waits, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find Kevin Waits on Facebook at Kevin Waits and join the Safe Conversations group. Follow the Mino Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mino Line Media. Get the Mino Line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits Podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production.